This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. You know what, Labs? I could get used to this Monday off thing. Starting the work week on a Tuesday. <laughs> Every time we have a holiday weekend, I feel the same way. We should just make the rule Mondays are off. Mondays are the new Sundays. Well, you know, th- there's some, um, you know, cu- uh, countries outside America, they're going to four-day work weeks. Yeah, but then i got to live in I- Europe. Ugh. Yeah, well, but, I mean, you have you have that kind of you have that kind of clout. You know, make that happen. So you would Mondays off or Fridays off? I would go Mondays off because Fridays I'm basically off anyway. That's a mail-in day. You know what I mean? You're on autopilot. <laughs> You're not working that hard. That that was one of the things you know back in my younger days, putting myself through school. I worked in a steel mill, and for a time it was the night shift, eleven Oof. to seven. So that was miserable and everything, but you were done at 7 a.m. Friday. Oh, my God. And then you didn't have to go back to work until 11 p.m. Sunday night. Right to the bar at 7 a.m. on Friday. What a tremendous way to start your weekend. <laughs> or go home and sleep for a few hours <laughs> and wake up and go right to the bar. Well, I'm sure the Steelers enjoyed their day off yesterday. One week of OTAs in the books, the second week getting started today as we record this on a Tuesday Did you have any general thoughts from the first week of OTAs? I know everybody was freaking out on day one when T.J. Watt didn't show up, only to have him show up the the very next day. I I wasn't too worried about that, Labs. I I didn't think the former Defensive Player of the Year forgot how to play football. Well, you know, here's here's, first of all, let me just start with this. You know, I'm not here to bash OTAs or to claim they're meaningless or anything like that. But, you know, my opinion is Super Bowls are not won in May. (laughs) You know, you can, uh, you know, as Dan Rooney once told me, um, you know, in May, June, early June, um, the only news that you can get or that comes out about your really good players is bad injuries, you know, those kinds of things. So there's that. And here's another a couple of little anecdotes I remember because you know I've been doing this for a thousand years. Before OTAs were even invented, how old am I? Um, but Troy Polamalu, you know, there were there were his best seasons were when he didn't show up for any of the Steelers offseason program. None. He would do his own thing. He had his own uh, ritual program workout. You know, he would. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there, there were there were stories. You know, he used to torture himself in ways that I don't even want to think about, but. Uh, when he would prepare his body his own way, he'd have a great year. When he would spend the summer in Pittsburgh working with his teammates, he didn't have a good year or he'd get injured or, you know, and so there's there's that. Here's the other thing. Bill Cowher, uh, Hall of Fame coach, by the way, and again, I'm not criticizing anything. I'm just saying what how it used to be. Bill Cowher didn't go, come to all the OTAs. <laughs> I mean, he would watch – you know, the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex, you know, which the team moved into in 2000. You know, there's that balcony. Yeah. There's the offices up there. Okay, and there's that balcony. Well, you know, the head coach's office has, um, you know, easy access to that balcony. And he would, Bill Cower would stand and watch a little bit up there. And then that was it. I mean, he, he wasn't down on the field all the time. So um, I think, you know, with the social media and, 
you know, 24-7, you know, Roger Goodell, kudos to him for creating a, you know, 12-month-a-year uh, media frenzy around the NFL. Um, but there were times when um, OTAs, you know, were not that big a deal, certainly by the, from the media, the head coach of the Steelers, a Hall of Fame safety, Hall of Fame coach too, by the way. So, um, you know, I, I think that fans maybe get a little too um, in a frenzy about what's going on at these practices. And, you know, there's rules. <laughs> there's, there's rules that you're not allowed to report what you see because right. practices aren't open to the public. So there's that too. Um, so, you know, I go to OTAs, I watch. You learn a little bit. I'll tell you what, the thing that I find myself studying the most, jersey numbers. So I learned the jersey that's a numbers. Good, that's so, a veteran move right there, Labs. So I don't have to continually refer to a roster that <laughs> I carry around with me all the time now. Well, one guy, former Steeler, that I think would be chomping at the bit to jump in on today's OTAs and maybe has a bit of a foggy memory of past OTAs, Le'Veon Bell, little uh podcast for him over the past week where he admitted some things such as smoking some marijuana before regular season games. I'm not surprised by that, Labs. I know people tried to, you know, do the jaw drop thing. Oh my God, I can't believe he admitted that. That's the part that I'm more surprised at, that he actually admitted it. The fact that he did it, not that shocking. Well, I mean, there is that. there was that, uh, you know, the, the year that LeGarrette Blunt was right. on the team. You know, he and Le'Veon got pulled over on the way to the airport. I believe it was for a preseason game. Um, I think you're right. And uh, one of the things was, uh, one of the issues in terms of the stop was, you know, smoking marijuana. So, you know, the fact that I don't think it's any secret that, you know, Le'Veon Bell <laughs> right. used marijuana. I mean, it's certainly on the record. Um, but, you know, uh, this is... This is kind of interesting to me in some ways. I mean, um, you know, Le'Veon Bell's abilities, um, his status uh, in the NFL among running backs when he was in his prime uh, is indisputable to me. It really is. And had Le'Veon Bell not um, become a quote-unquote crusader for guaranteed money for running backs and contracts... <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, he could have gone down as, you know, one of the great running backs in franchise history. Um, but, you know, he made some choices uh, about that. I mean, he sat out a whole season uh, because he didn't want to play under the franchise tag and didn't like any of the offers that the Steelers made. And on his podcast, I believe, he admitted that it was about, you know, the, the amount of guaranteed money. Um, so... You know, as I said, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, the the one thing he said was he wants a few carries in <laughs> August or something and then retire as a Steeler. Um, you know, that's not up to me, um, but let me say this. The Steelers have never done that. The whole one-day contract and then a guy comes and, you know, retires. Um, they The Steelers ha have allowed certain players to hold um, their retirement presser uh in the facility right james harrison uh is a notable example of that that happened in 2014 i think that was one of his first retirements you know there were there were a few, <laughs> a few sprinkled in uh, there, yeah. with james uh and uh, you, you the turnout was unbelievable and by that i mean 
his ex-teammates. I mean, Keese was there. Aaron Smith was there. Um, there, were, there were a lot of players who showed up for that. So, you know, that kind of, to me, um, was an, uh, illustrated what James, what James Harrison's teammates thought of him. And, uh, you know, and that's also, I think that um, it, it showed what the Steelers thought of him, too, to allow that, you know, to happen in their building on their property. It was a Friday, as I recall. Um, so there, that, that has been happened, but that has happened. That has been allowed. But the one-day contract thing, the Steelers haven't done that. I can't imagine it would get done for Le'Veon. Um, but again, I, that's just my opinion. And, you know, the, the few con carries in August. I mean, let me just say this. Um, first of all, he's 31. He hasn't played in a, in a couple of years, three years. And his last season in the league, I mean, was not a, a stellar one by any means. Uh, and here's the other thing. <laughs> you bring him to camp, and first of all, you have to sign him to something. Right. Okay, because he has to be under the and under the cap, top fifty-one contract, so you could, you know, offer him the minimum. Which, but what if he gets hurt? Good point. <laughs> then you got to put him on IR. Then you got to count him on the cap. Um, so there's a lot of issues. You know, it's not um, as simple, uh, or you know, as it as it might sound. To, oh, yeah, let him carry a few times in a preseason game. Because he can't just show up for the game and carry a few times. He's got to go to <laughs> practice. You know, I mean, he doesn't – I'm sure they're not running the same plays, um, certainly not the same people that they ran when Le'Veon was here last. Um, you know, so uh, I, I I don't know what his motive is, uh, and I don't want to, you know, put any words in his mouth or disparage him or anything like that, but – I, I don't see that giving him a chance in, in, a, in a preseason game to carry a few game, carry a few times and then letting him retire as a Steeler with a one-day contract. I, I mean, I don't, I don't see that happening. And maybe the uh, marijuana smoking before games explains his patient running style because I've never seen before or after a guy as patient hitting a hole like Le'Veon Bell. It was amazing to watch. He was like a ballet dancer back there in the backfield in his prime labs. Yeah, his style was unique, and uh, it was extremely effective. Oh, my God, I mean, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I remember that game. Uh, it was a night game in San Diego. I know. Sunday yep. night, Monday night or something, when um, the Steelers went to the Wildcat. Uh, you know, they were playing Michael Vick. Mike Vick was I mean, the quarterback, were, yeah. <laughs> Mike Vick was the quarterback. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was a win-or-lose play. And Le'Veon got the ball into the end zone. I mean, so the, again, I'm 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 here to say that I, when he was when he was playing and interested, uh, he was a great player. Um, but um, you know, again, that time has passed. Let me just throw this in real quick as a because I asked some people about this. You know, there was always that you know Le'Veon could play wide receiver in the NFL too. Right. I asked Todd Haley about that one time because Todd Haley broke into the NFL as a wide receivers coach. And he said, you know, Le'Veon couldn't, you know, Le'Veon as a receiver was great because he was a running back and you're not being guarded by the number one corner or those kind of people. Yeah, Jalen you know, Ramsey's not lining up on you. Right. 
Um, so, uh, and what, and, um, the belief was he doesn't, didn't have the speed to line up as a receiver full-time in the league and play that position. Uh, you know, a great catcher of the football as a running back, but if you're going to line him up as a wide receiver, you know, you couldn't switch out, um, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and have him line up and expect him, you know, to be the single guy on one side of the field and create space one-on-one -on -one with the top defensive back, you know, on a regular basis. So, you know, fans need to get that out of their head. Let's get to this week's questions. Our first one comes from Sean Chalmer from Melbourne, Australia, and he wants to know, with Darnell Washington being drafted and joining a talented group of tight ends, do you envision Connor Hayward being utilized more as a fullback? Um, you know, what I think is going to happen uh, with Connor Hayward is, and, and Matt Canada, you know, dealt a little bit with this kind of issue uh, during his appearance in the media room after the Steelers picked Darnell Washington. Um, Connor Hayward is going to be used, um, you know, probably as kind of a hybrid guy, lines up in different spots and um, does different things. He has a unique skill set. You know, we saw him make some nice plays down the field as a receiver in Atlanta. It's that one example, that deep pass down the middle that was key in the Steelers winning that game. Um, he's a good special teams player. Uh, I, I, he's a good blocker. Um, so he's going to be utilized, um, but I don't know that you're going to be able to, like, pigeonhole him into a position. You know, I think he'll line up some in the backfield. He'll line up some maybe on the end of the line of scrimmage in some multiple tight end sets. He can be playing H-back. Um, so there's definitely a place for Connor Hayward uh, on the 2023 Steelers. The addition of Darnell Washington I don't think threatens his roster spot at all. And, um, you know, we're going to have to – it's going to be an evolving role. I think when you're looking at Connor Hayward when it comes to 2023 – Look at it more as the role he's going to play as opposed to the position he's going to play. Dennis Stevens from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. When the great Chuck Knoll, excuse me, when the great Chuck Knoll's career with the Steelers ended, was it a mutual split? Did animosity exist? Did Knoll want to continue coaching elsewhere? Uh, no, there was no drama. You know, Chuck Knoll, uh, when he was done, one of the things I remember him saying was, uh, I think it was a, Rudyard Kipling line, which just shows, you know, Chuck Knoll in, in a room full of sports writers quoting Rudyard Kipling, which to me is just, you know, so Chuck. Um, <laughs> that just shows you the kind of renaissance man he was, the, the breadth of his intelligence and experience. But he said, you know, uh, when you leave the beach, leave nothing but your footprints. And Knoll's footprints, Ed Bouchette wrote this, I'll give him credit for this. Uh, Ed Bouchette said Chuck Knoll's footprints were those four Lombardi trophies mm. that were in the lobby at Three Rivers Stadium at that point. Um, there was no animosity. Um, he never interviewed for another coaching job. Um, I don't know if he was ever contacted about it. I mean, Chuck didn't confide in me with those kinds of things. Um, but he never coached again. Uh, Dan Rooney at the time, made arrangements for uh, Chuck Knoll to have an office at Three River Stadium after Bill Cower was hired, uh, but Knoll never even used it. 
because he didn't want it to show up and be a distraction. And what happened after, you know, Chuck Knoll uh, decided he was finished coaching, um, Noel and his wife, Marianne, they uh, enjoyed the initial phase of his retirement by sailing around the world. You know, Noel was the captain. Marianne Noel was his first mate. Uh, and again, sailing around the world <laughs> um, to me shows that's a pretty daunting thing in a sailboat. So, uh, again, Chuck Knoll, Renaissance man, um, didn't coach anymore. And I don't believe he ever wanted to coach anymore. That's the way to do it, man, when you retire. I don't need that office. I won't be coming to work at all anymore. I'm just going to go out in the middle of the ocean with my wife and sail away. It's beautiful. Yep. Michael Chippis from South Bend, Indiana. Who was the greatest Steelers undrafted rookie of all time? And who are this year's undrafted rookies? Um, you know, that this is a this is a question that I'm sure can uh be debated uh, you know, for a long time. Um, and because, you know, again, as I've mentioned in this podcast, reminding fans, you know, the Steelers have been doing this since nineteen thirty three. And there were times when um, you know, you signed players as opposed to drafting them. I mean you drafted them. But that wasn't necessarily the main or the only method of acquiring talent. So, you know, there was a, a player who happens to be in the Hall of Fame by the name of Jack Butler. And he played at St. Bonaventure. And there was a, it was a family, you know, um, connection. Uh, Art Rooney Sr. had a brother who was a priest. And the priest knew the priest. You know what I mean? St. Bonaventure was a Catholic college and so through that connection um they the Steelers got turned on to Jack Butler okay he uh, he was uh, an undrafted rookie from St. Bonaventure in 1951 um he played 104 games with the Steelers you know those years games they were not 14 game seasons even so he played 104 games 52 interceptions and 10 fumble recoveries that's 62 takeaways He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a uh, three-time first-team All-Pro. He's still second uh, on the franchise's uh, all-time interceptions list. Mel Blunt is the leader with 57. Okay, another guy. Another. Uh, he was a safety. Another defensive back, but a safety named Donnie Shell. You might have heard of him. Hmm. Rings um, he was an undra- he, he was an undrafted rookie from South Carolina State, in 1974. He played 201 games. He had 51 interceptions and 19 fumble recoveries. You know, that's 70 takeaways. He was a three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Super Bowl winner, uh, third on the franchise's all-time receptions list with 51. You know, he's just one behind Jack Butler. He's in the Hall of Fame. So if you're asking me, you know, who are the greatest, who the greatest undrafted rookie of all time is in franchise history, you know, I'd let you pick one of those two guys because they're in the Hall of Fame. You know, to me, that's the that's a, a distinguishing thing on your resume that separates you from everyone else. Now, there's a case to be made for James Harrison. You know, yeah. I'm not, but he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Maybe he gets there. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? But to me, if a non-Hall of Fame player is being con- compared to two guys who are in the Hall of Fame, well, he's automatically a notch below those two guys because he's not in the Hall of Fame. 
So if you're asking me, the un greatest undrafted rookie in franchise history, um, you know, Jack Butler, Donnie Shell, um, argue it out. Whatever you come up with is okay with me. John Worth from Boca Raton, Florida. I'm always reading about a player's height and length. What's the difference? Okay, in terms of scouting um, uh, the procedure, you know, to, to chronicle these measurables, a height, they measure, you know, from the, you're standing uh, feet flat on the ground, and they measure to the top of your head. And it's, they're very careful, I've seen this when they do it at the Combine, they're very careful to make sure that they push down in your hair. You know, you don't get any, um, you know, if you have a blue font yeah. or, yeah, no, that doesn't work. And so that's your height. Now, length uh, is attributed to the uh, your wingspan. So, you know, that's why you'll see what um, arm length is one of the things that is measured at the combine. And the reason that that is so is that there are positions where, you know, arm length is, is a contributing factor. Defensive backs offensive tackles you know your arm length as an offensive tackle allows you to get your hands on the pass rusher or the defensive lineman quickly and may possibly effectively you know defensive backs joey porter jr is a guy who is touted for his length you know he's tall six two and a half um whatever his arm length is i don't know it off the top of my head but when you're trying to throw the ball over or around him his arm length is a factor so that's length. And our final question today comes from Howie Pfeiffer from Gilbert, Arizona, and he wants to know, I kept hearing the term diaper dandy during the draft. Is this an NFL term or is it a Tomlinism? And what basically does it mean? Diaper dandy is a Vitalism. <laughs> you know, um, Dick Vital um, is the guy, the only first guy I ever heard of who would use that term. And when he was doing... Uh, college basketball he would refer to young players freshmen usually as diaper dandies who were the really good players as freshmen meaning that they were very young and you know young uh human beings wear diapers until they mature a little <laughs> bit um and so a diaper dandy that's a dick vitalism uh, it's not a tomlinism um it's not an nfl term it but i mean if you're a sports fan and you watch any college basketball, growing up watching any, uh, I'm sure if you watch college basketball back in the day, um, you had to hear <laughs> Dick Vital do a game or a game or a hundred. And uh, that was his term, referring to young, talented freshman college basketball players. I'm surprised you didn't break out your world famous Dick Vital impression for that answer. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, type of dandy, baby. He's a PTP. <laughs> Not bad. Not, Not bad, bad, right? Very easy to do. Take, very very take, easy. Take it on the road. <laughs> That's going to do it for today's edition of Asked and Answered. We always do appreciate you guys giving a listen to this podcast. Get your questions into labs now, and you just might hear them on a future episode. Before Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opperman, and we're going to talk to you guys next week.